This is the Tabernacle Podcast with John Vermilia and me, Britton Bishop. What's up, John? What's up is peach shakes are on my brain. Peach shakes. Peach shakes. Chick-fil-A? Yes, no free shout-outs. No free shout-outs. No free shout-outs. <laughs> but what, what Northern Michigan doesn't know, and uh, I do know because I'm a Chick-fil-A fiend, fiend and addict, knew it from back in the day. Back. And now we finally have it here in Traverse City. What they don't know is peach shakes are limited time only. If you haven't had a peach shake yet from Chick-fil-A, don't be rolling in there and ask for vanilla or chocolate with your little sprinkle fest. You don't need no whipped cream or some cherry to ruin it. Peach shake, it's got bits of That's a hot peach take. in it. You and Hope would get along. She's anti-whipped cream cherry. Oh, of course, 100%. So oh. that's just what's on the brain. Uh, but secondly- I'm hoping it's what's in my stomach later, Rizzy. Yeah, if Martin Rizzy comes back from Traverse City today and there's no Chick-fil-A, his office will be trashed. You'll show up Saturday and there will be no campus pastor. I'm just going to say it on the podcast. So that's going to stuff Rizzy. It's done. Yeah, the second thing on my brain is Diamond Bar, California. Which Diamond I, Bar. Yeah, I've never been to Diamond Bar. I've never been to California. I've been to California, but not Diamond Bar. But whenever I hear the name Diamond Bar on the news, read it, see it on a map, I think of one person, my friend, my brother, my former teammate still teammate in christ absolutely uh uh eric mills who is our guest on the podcast today eric mills i never thought i'd see the day you'd be in the dungeon with me and the bish <laughs> love it welcome to the podcast yeah, welcome thanks guys thanks for having me so brief word of introduction on eric mills um eric and i met in if i get this right 1990 yeah i'm 20 years old He's 21, maybe 20, 21. He's a little bit older than me by a couple months, uh, maybe a full year. But we were on a soccer missions trip with Missionary Athletes International, also known as the Charlotte Eagles. We're both in college. He's at Bartlesville Wesleyan University, now Oklahoma Wesleyan. I'm at Indiana Wesleyan University. We're both soccer players. We're on this team. We were roommates. We played together. It was one of the most epic missions trips of all time. But I made a friend. We made friends. Um, with a friendship that has lasted, if you think about it, yeah. 32 years? It is. 32-year friendship. We both ended up uh, working. Up it, yeah, getting up there. That's older than you are. Our friendship is older than you, brother. Older than you. Uh, but Eric just has a heart for Jesus. Uh, married, has three kids, um, and uh, is an ordained pastor, and has his own ministry um, now called Faces with Names. Uh, a ministry to help the orphans of Uganda. And uh, I'm just pumped that you're here uh, to yeah. tell your story, man. Yeah, and a fan of the Murphy's Hot Hamburger. Absolutely. Wait Praise a minute. God. No free shout outs. Who's Murphy's Hot Hamburger? Why haven't I had one? <laughs> Murphy's has attributed a lot to my life. So, <laughs> What is Murphy's what? what is- it's in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. It's a, so you go in, you Oh, order I forgot. It. It, two, for, two podcasts <laughs> in a row, we got Okies in the it's house. Anarchy. We got, oh, anarchy. Last week with the hearse, this week with you. This is, this is it's anarchy. what's happening. Yes, it is. <laughs> Murphy's Hot Hamburger will change your life, John. No free shout outs. What, yeah. what makes it unique? You go in there. It's an open face hamburger. What's that mean? Does that so, mean they don't close it? It's got bread on the bottom. Bread on the bottom. Two, two patties. Yeah. And then hand cut, like think about Five Guys fries, but legit the dude was fries. smoking when he made them. All right? <laughs> hand cut fries, legit, yes. laid out over the top, covered in brown gravy. Yeah, covered. dude, that almost sounds Canadian. Oh, it's so good. Canadians Canada's put gravy on us. Canadians put uh, uh, gravy on French fries, and then they sprinkle it with cheese curds, 
goat cheese curds, and they call it poutine. Yeah, it's a stupid name, and Oklahoma would win in a fight. So <laughs> that's it. Uh, <laughs> Oklahoma versus Canada. Hot take. Yeah, you heard yeah, it right here. Right. But he's a uh, so where he lives currently and went to school and all that. About fifteen minutes from the stomping grounds of Ulagatalala. Ulagatalala. So. Pumped it up. always sounds like yeah. you're speaking Pumped in to tongues another, when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Pumped to have another Oki on here, though, oh, so I'm right. excited. Yeah, so awesome. Diamond Bar, California, Yeah. Um, by way. Uh, so how, kind of break that down. How did you end up in Oklahoma? What was the, kind of that upbringing piece like? The question we always ask, and I'm going to do it anyways, even though- It's okay. It's a great question. Catches people off guard, and then nobody knows how to answer it. What is your first memory? My first memory. I should probably tell people before we get we down here because then yeah. it's like awkward pause. Because Gabe Hearth <laughs> took a long time yeah. for that. Love one. you, Gabe. Yeah, yeah, we love Gabe. You know, some of my first memories, I guess, um, I had I was born with a hole in my heart, of all things, and had open heart surgery when I was five years old. And some of my first memories, I think, are just around going to the doctor, being in the hospital, uh, having that surgery, kind of. I'm sure I probably have some younger memories, but that's the one that really sticks out because it was pretty obviously life transforming and and really set the stage for me to to live a healthy life so um yeah just i share it in a lot of the stories that i share about just uh you know with my daughter uh, that we have adopted she had a a hole in her heart and so we've i didn't know that yeah yeah yeah. so we we went through that whole scenario with her too when she was uh, just over five years old so um yeah that's that's what stands out to me yeah it's crazy and the hospital i mean I was at Los Angeles Children's Hospital, and they just, I mean, they just created this environment where kids just had a bunch of fun, you know, mm. but it, it really was to mask the seriousness of the condition that these kids are in. And so I remember, you know, riding, you know, tricycles up and down the hallway and big wheels and different things like that. And so it was a good memory, and I'm sure it really hurt too, but like, I don't remember that part. I just remember right, the, the, the good, good yeah. part of. Uh, and that hospital smell. You yeah. Know, no matter sure how many did. times they clean yeah. it, you're just like, uh, yeah, I think it probably is where people die yeah. and live. Yeah. So they get it fixed. They fixed they it. Did, they man. Hold, hold I did. I did. I had, uh, yeah, I had a successful surgery and, uh, I mean, pretty much every year, uh, from that point on until I was about 18, I had to go for an annual checkup and then they were kind of like, Hey man, you're good. So, um, yeah, it's, I've been very fortunate that it was a successful surgery and, lived a healthy life. Now, my daughter was a little, when we adopted her and she came home from China, we thought, you know, kind of based on my experience, oh yeah, just one surgery, she'll be good. Mm-hmm. Seven surgeries later. Oh my. Uh, for Hope, yeah. But she's, same thing, she's, she is a trooper, man. I mean, she went through all of those and, but we, even as a family, we spent a lot of, a lot of time in the hospitals for her to, to, to get healthy as she is mm-hmm. now, so. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So grow up that way. Um, did you grow up in a Christian home? What was that kind of that process like yeah, kind of yeah. coming through that stuff? So both of my parents are originally from South Dakota. So, um, they, and they went to a, a Bible college in Kansas, uh, came really good friends. With what some, school was it? Uh, Miltonville Wesleyan College. Okay. Um, and so my dad uh, studied to be a pastor and uh, they had two really good friends of theirs that, you know, now I call my, like my aunt and uncle, they kind of my surrogate aunt and uncle. They, uh, he was from Wisconsin. She was from Iowa. And somehow they, they moved to Southern California and they graduated a year ahead of my parents. And they were like, Hey, you guys should come out here. And so my parents, uh, uh, you know, it was kind of back in the 
I guess probably legalistic days of you know kind of Wesleyan denomination. Like in and in South Dakota, if you were ordained, you were not allowed to wear men weren't allowed to wear wedding rings. Oh yeah. And my dad was like, "I'm wearing a wedding ring," and so they moved <laughs> to California where they don't care if you wear a wedding. Dean ring. doesn't mess around. Yeah. Dean Mills. That's yeah. the dumbest rule I've ever heard. It's I a dumb know. rule. Yeah. It's a I dumb rule. Lasted long back Isn't, then. I know it is. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. crazy, and I'm glad that they did because I mean. So yeah, so my dad ended up going out there. He was a was a youth pastor at a Wesleyan church. I mean, I pretty much from the day I was born, I was in church and uh, you know grew up uh, with you know Christian influence. My parents were loved the Lord and and um, yeah. So I mean, grew up playing soccer. I mean, soccer was kind of my big sport, and uh, so we I, I do I remember it being very. Uh, important for my parents to be at church. Even when I had games on Sunday or something like that, we, I mean, we never went to a game before we went to church, mm. you know? So we always were in church and, and then we would just, and you don't hate your parents. No, I it's love interesting. my parents. Yeah. That's a, yeah. it's a interesting. You, you <laughs> went to church yeah. instead of your games and you don't hate your parents. Well, yeah. well somebody needs to think about <laughs> so, that one for so a minute. So Eric, you are <laughs> always in church, Yeah, but and and we left out. You have a brother, younger. I do. He yeah. has a younger brother. I do. Yeah. Who uh, just reminds me of another brother named Bub. <laughs> <laughs> so Bub, if you're listening, this is you, uh, right? He likes to blow up stuff. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, yeah. but um, even though you're in church, I know yeah. a little bit of your story. Yeah. In the teen years. Uh, yeah. Well, I yeah, I definitely got pretty wild, man. I mean, I was. Um, uh, even though I was still going to church, mm-hmm. I mean, my parents were at that point were dragging me to church, I guess. Yeah. And um, but yeah, I got pretty wild. I mean, I was was pretty actively drinking, smoking pot pretty regularly. I was, I had a lot of friends that were doing drugs, but I was always a little um, scared, I guess, to do other drugs just because of my heart situation. Right. It was probably a good thing, just that I had that that healthy fear of yeah. not, mm-hmm. you know, getting deeper into some of the drugs that they were doing. Um, but yeah, I was, I was pretty wild. I mean, and, and, you know, obviously as you go through those years, I mean, I definitely had, you know, times, especially with my dad that we really just, you know, fought tooth and nail and, uh, but my parents, I mean, they were amazing. They just, um, I look back now and, you know, just over time just had developed such an amazing relationship with my dad and, Mm -hmm. and, and what I do now, like with an orphan care and stuff like that, I just, I'm like, you know, I never did not know what it, it meant to have a father that didn't love me, you know, and, and to, to that just really set the stage for me to really understand God's love for me mm-hmm. and that father's love. And I know that so many people don't have that and, yeah. and it's, it is, it's a, it's a tough barrier to get over, but, but yeah. So anyways, I was, I was pretty wild um, for a number of years. I started pretty early. I mean, early junior high. I mean, I was drinking pretty heavily and, and, um, but uh, going into uh, right at the towards the end of my junior year at high school, uh, I had a cousin. Um, she was really close to me. Her and I were more like a brother and sister. I mean, she just was always around our house, and we just got along really great. But she was two. She was a senior. She was two weeks uh, from her high school graduation, and she was at work one night. And some of her friends had been out drinking, and she called her parent, her mom, and said, "Hey, you know, can I go out? Just be out for a little bit longer." And and it was only like an extra hour, you know, from when she got off work to when she was supposed to be home. And uh, the guy who had, was driving had been drinking and drove off a cliff. And uh, my cousin, unfortunately, I mean, I mean, I'm thankful that nobody else was hurt, but my cousin was the only one killed in that in that uh, that accident. And so, two weeks after her death, 
Um, I walked across her graduation platform and received her diploma for her. And I mean, I just, I still distinctly remember, I mean, her chair was sitting there, her cap and gown draped over it, and but she wasn't there. And, and that was a, a really, obviously monumental change in my life. Cause I was like, man, that could have been me so many different times, you yeah. know, in that car. And I could have done that to somebody else. Yeah. And, and so really I, I almost on a, had an immediate just change. And so really all the stuff that I learned growing up from my parents, going to church, that's what I really clung on to. And mm-hmm. I really started seeking the Lord. And so, you know, I, I remember, man, going into my senior year of high school, it was probably the loneliest year of my life. Cause I mean, everybody that I hung out with was still out partying all the time and stuff like that. And so I just, it took me a while to like say like, man, I, I can't be around that cause I'm going to probably fall and I'm going to just get to keep doing it and stuff like that. So I really, I went to the car races, I, you know, I was super into to cars and car racing and stuff like that. My dad owned a roofing company back then. And so I worked a lot for him and, and, um, but just that, that year, um, I really started, started going to church on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you know, in Southern California, I mean, you can drive, you know, 45 minutes and you go through 10 cities or whatever. And so we, we went to a church that was kind of a long ways from our house and, and we had gone there for many years and I just was like, I, I'm not into this. And so I honestly, I don't even remember how I ended up at this church, but it was close to our house. And I mean, I started going to church by myself as a, as a senior in high school. So my parents went on their own. I drove over there and um, I remember the pastor, you know, having this deal where it was like, you know, read through the Bible in a year. And, and I mean, I, I did it. I mean, I literally like. And I know at that time, you're not a reader. No, like I'm, that's not your jam. No, it yeah. isn't, man. But I, it was crazy. I, I still have this this little you know thing that you check the thing off. It wasn't you know back mm-hmm. in the Bible app or anything back then. I mean, it was legitimate. Like you check the mark off, and 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 you know I I went through it, and so towards the end of that that year. So, sorry, yeah, I, we 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 got. I didn't mean to. Or well, I did interrupt. <laughs> yeah, no problem. But I got a student ministries pastor. We have some students that do listen to this. I want to go back for a second. Yeah, I've got to questions the, too. Yeah, go, go. Yeah, I the mean, loneliest year was your senior year because you gave Christ your yes. Is yeah, what I heard. Hundred percent. No, there's yeah. multiple like threads that are being pulled in my head, but one just speaking to that fact because there's so often in student ministry that the the phrase I hear often, especially in Northern Michigan, is something we talked about in the lobby, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. doing student ministry in Oklahoma is like shooting fish in a barrel, dude. Yeah, like these kids, yeah. They come to church because practice is over at 4.30 on Wednesday, yeah. and you don't miss anything yeah. because your life is built around it because that's just how the Bible Belt is. But up here, yeah. it's a conscious decision yeah. um, to follow Christ. It's a hard decision for a lot of the students that we yeah. interact with, and it's one that leads to often, unfortunately, um, students feeling isolated, alone, um, like they're the only one doing it. And yeah. obviously that's a thing. Like It's true, but at the yeah. same time, it's like, yeah, but you go to a student ministry with 60 other kids, so right. there's probably a little bit of community within that. Absolutely. But speaking to that student, right? Why did you keep saying yes, even though you knew it was going to cost you, quote unquote, everything? Yeah. You know, I think it's just one of those situations where you look at your life and think like, I've experienced the bad part, Mm. you know? I mean, I've done enough dumb things. You can only get so drunk. You can only get so high. You can only have, you know, be with so many girls, whatever, that kind of situation. And, And you're just like, it's not fulfilling. I just happened to do it way younger in my mm-hmm. life than most people do, I think, yeah. you know? And so when I reached that point of my cousin being killed, um, one, it obviously was a traumatic experience, 
But it really set the stage for me to just really stand up for what I believe in. Um, I kept saying yes because I didn't want to go back. I knew how miserable it was. And I saw how miserable my friends were. You know, honestly, I mean, it's just one of those situations where when you start getting a little bit more clarity in your head and stuff like that and, uh, you know, and even just reading the Bible, I mean, that was significant to me because I was like, man, I mean, I've gone to church my whole life. And then when you really start digging into the Bible, you— God really does speak to you. I mean, yeah. the Holy Spirit really started pinpointing things in my life that I was like, man, I do need to surrender mm-hmm. that. And um, yeah, I, you know, it just, it was a situation where I just, I had enough bad that I, I wanted, I didn't want yeah. to deal with that anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and it was worth it. I mean, it's so crazy now, like, you know, with Facebook and stuff like that. I mean, I look back on so many friends from high school that, I mean, I I didn't think they had any spiritual background at all, but there are a ton of people that I went to high school with now that are very open with their faith or, I mean, clearly Christians and stuff like that. And, but I did not feel that way at all, man. I didn't know any of them at that time. So, um, yeah, it just, I, and I, you know, honestly, I mean, I think for me a little bit, I'm, I, I've kind of always been wired to like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm willing to, if I'm the only one, I don't care. I mean, I'm willing to, to make that stand and, and it definitely felt like that, mm. you know, because, I mean, you know how it is in high school. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, if you're out partying with people, then, then like all of a sudden you're not. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're rousing me, man. I mean, they're giving me a hard time. And, but I didn't, I didn't care. I mean, I just, I just went. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this is way before your time, but there are some boomers like me who listen <laughs> to this podcast. And I promise that we, we don't have to live here. But back in the day, 1990, MTV, there was a guy named Gerardo who sang Rico, ra 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 suave, right? You know, and it was just this worldly, like, I don't know, Spanish kind of Spanish rap type deal. And there was all scantily clad women. And it was just like a big party scene. You went to school with that guy. I, he went to Walnut High School, but I mean, a bunch of people that were in that video are people I went to high school with. Yeah, I mean, and yeah. I knew him because he was always over at Dunbar High School because he was an amazing dancer. And I mean, they, that was when break dancing oh, and yeah. you know, the whole popping thing and all that stuff. But and, he told me around a bonfire at my house, I think it was, yeah. or maybe before yeah. the bonfire, yeah. that that guy who was the the heart and soul, you made me think of it by what you just said about your Facebook friends, yeah. is, uh, you know, the where are they now? You said yeah. he's a, and it says it right in his Wikipedia. He's, he's a, a pastor he in Ohio. A, yeah, he's mm. a pastor now. And this dude um, was on MTV, man, slaying oh, <laughs> it on he, the awards. He was on like, uh, um, he's been in a number of movies. I mean, he made, I mean, he was very successful. And now he's following Jesus. I mean, and he loves the Lord, man. He's a pastor. Yeah. And, and cool. so, yeah, it is very, there's a documentary on it that's super cool. They just, so Cheers Tracy Kalita, if you're listening, that was for you. <laughs> There's another Clayton Scripjack. I know you're listening. That was for you, Rico Suave. Look it up. There's another thread too that I wanted to pull because there was something you said about um, all the things that I had heard growing up. Right, these kind of seeds planted. Yeah, over absolutely. time they didn't return void, and they so didn't. I think um, speaking to the parents as well that yeah. listen to this podcast that have yeah. those kids that seem like, man, is there anything? Is, it, is this going to work out? Like, yeah. is my kid ever going to follow Jesus? I don't want to shove it down their throat, right? But just right. finding that balance. And and you pointed to the fact, like, man, you know, when I didn't want to follow, me and my dad had some conflict. Yeah, we did. I mean, some some tension there. But now, love my dad. Yeah. And yeah. so I think just to encourage, if there was anything you could say to those parents, like, what are some things maybe your dad did well oh. that you look back and you're like, man, like, 
even though at the time I hated it. Yeah. I'm glad he did this. And yeah, so kind of yeah, just speaking so. to those parents that are walking through that right now with the teens and stuff like that as yeah, well. Bet. Yeah. I mean, I think the first immediate thing is just don't give up. I mean, just mm-hmm. keep praying. Stay faithful. You got to be real. I mean, you know, I think in today's age, culture, whatever, I mean, kids are just looking for authenticity. So, I mean, if parents aren't living that at home, I mean, they really, they could see it. And they're mm-hmm. like, why would I do this? I mean, like, just because you're acting like this in front of other people at church, but I see what you're like at home. That was one thing that my parents did really well. I mean, my parents were authentic. I mean, my dad loved the Lord. My mom loved the Lord. I mean, when my mom, uh, when I graduated, my mom, you know, wrote me this little note. I still have it. And, and just was like, you know, just the prayers that she prayed over me for all those years and stuff like that, you know? And, and I, you know, now we'll, we'll tell my mom stories of like, yeah, this is the crazy stuff we did. And she's like, oh man, I'm glad I didn't know that, you know, <laughs> back then or whatever. But, um, the bottom line is, is I know that it always seems like, oh yeah, you just, just pray for him. But there is just something about praying for your kids, you know, and just loving on them um, and just living your own faith out that they see that, you know, I I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's I think there's definitely a balance because you don't want to be nagging on kids because it seems like, you know, we all have that nature of like the more somebody tells me not to do something, it seems like I do it more. And I think that's real. Um, So you have to have some balance, but I mean, you can't just say like, yeah, do whatever you want. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there, you have to keep the balance of like, this is really who we are as, as your parents, this is what we believe in. And, uh, you know, even though that's not the life that you're choosing to live right now, I mean, we're, we're hopeful that, that someday it will, the, yeah. the seeds that we've planted in you will, will bear fruit, you know? Yeah. And, and it is, it's no question about it. I mean, it was all of that, that, I mean, I just like, ran to when I had that tragic situation in my life. Yeah. I mean, I, and I mean, I hated going to church, man. I mean, like we, like I said, we went to this church and it was, I mean, there was a Christian school. So most of the youth group were all at this Christian school right. together. So I wasn't really even a part of it, even though I was kind of, I guess, you know, could be considered a popular kid. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. You know, like I in my arena, I was, but like when I went there, dude, I mean, kids are brutal, you know? <laughs> And, and so me and this other kid, we literally are, the way that our church was at, it was like the church was over here. Then you had to walk a couple blocks where they bought a youth place. And this, this other guy and I, it wasn't a gym. It was, it was just. He's trying to get a gym. uh, (laughs) Sorry. You definitely should have a gym. I mean, come on. Whoa, Oklahoma just ganged up. (laughs) Sorry, you walked over to the place. Well, I walked over to the place, but walked right past it. We'd never went to, we just went to a donut shop, got donuts. So kind of time to, Hey, when do we need to be back to catch a ride home with our parents? And so like, I didn't even go. So it wasn't like this influence of like, Oh my goodness. Like I'm, you know, my youth pastor was, you know, I mean, that's all I got a bad story about that, but I mean, wasn't, it just was kind of embarrassing to me. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't want to even have any part of it. But on the other hand, just the fact that my parents were so consistent Mm-hmm. And we're just, you know, they, they were stuck in, as we would yeah. say in, in soccer, you know, I mean, they, it wasn't just a casual thing for them. And, yeah. and I I'm, knew your dad better than I knew your mom. Yeah. And your dad is just one of the legitimately most loving, gracious, kind, yeah. even a smile. Yeah. Like whenever you yeah. talk to Dean, yeah. either I talk him on the phone or saw yeah. him live back yeah. when we were in North Carolina, it's yeah. just just genuine, like love oozed out of yeah. him. Yeah, it was an amazing guy. And, and, you know, so I went from that just kind of really tense relationship with my dad 
Um, Because I don't necessarily know that they always handled it right. I mean, like, you know, I think, you know, when they would know that I was out drinking or like, you know, kind of they tried to give me the birds and bee talk. I'm like, we're well past that at this point. (laughs) (laughs) So, unfortunately, I mean, uh, but I mean, they gave it the college effort, you know, and, and it's just one of those things that they genuinely loved me. They cared about my brother and I. I mean, and just even like, I mean, for my, my dad, I mean, you know, he loved people. Mm-hmm. I mean, he just, gen- he could, yeah. he talked to everybody and, and he loved people, but, um, you know, he loved my mom. I mean, he, I mean, he never left the house without kissing my mom, telling her love, you know, he loved her and always opened the door for, her. I mean, there's just those kind of things that like my dad showed just legitimate, like he was, he was the real deal. Mm. And, and it, 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 you know, I went from that real super tense relationship with him to, yeah, he was, he became my best friend. I mean, like mm-hmm. we literally talked on the phone. I mean, until he passed away, I mean, we talked on the phone every day. Mm-hmm. And so, and I'm, you know, it's, it's, I miss him. I miss that. Cause you know, I mean, we've over the last number of years, I mean, just, we've been through some major decisions and major things. And I'm just like, man, the first person I'd be calling right now would have, would have been my dad, you yeah. know? And so I really, I do, I miss that part of it. So yeah. anyways, that was a long answer to say, just don't give up. I mean, yeah. don't give up your kids. Just love on them. Yep. And, just, and I think you hit on a key yeah. piece, too, with that authentic living. Yeah. Um, because I think that so many kids over time have seen families play church. Right. And it's like, but at the end of the day, we're just wasting a Sunday. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I heard a pastor the other day talking about that kind of that, that, that thread. And he said, uh, he's like, just take your kids wakeboarding. It'll yeah. be more fun. You're wasting your time if you're right. just going to play church. Exactly. And so, yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. So yeah. coming out of high school, right, started going to church senior year, all that stuff, um, yeah. really getting after it. Did that kind of lead to, man, you know what, I might go to a Christian university, try to play some ball while I'm there, or what was that kind of process look yeah, like? Yeah, so I was starting to get recruited from a number of Christian schools out in Southern California, and um, my parents were just like, go to at least one year of Christian college, we'll pay for it, you know, really encouraging me and stuff like that. And I, uh, like I said, my dad owned a roofing company. My biggest dream was to be a race car driver. And so like, <laughs> you know, roofing companies, you always see roofing companies on, you know, sponsors on race cars and stuff. I'm like, so, well, in order for me to race cars, I'm going to start a roofing company so I can do that. And so a buddy of mine that also worked for my dad, we were, we're going to go and get our, uh, start our own roofing company. And so that was kind of the plan that I had. And it was crazy because literally every year of my life up until that point, uh, you know, growing up in South uh, Southern California, but we always went to South Dakota for like two months because my dad was a school teacher and with the roofing company, he made enough money. We just like got in the car and left and spent the two months in, in South Dakota. Well, going into my senior year, the summer before my senior year, I didn't, um, I, my parents let me stay in Southern California by myself, which I still am like, what were you guys thinking? <laughs> Even though I was like making that change, you know, I yeah. mean, it's still, I mean, I wasn't quite there yet, but I mean, anyways, a cousin of mine got married in South Dakota and I flew back there and for the wedding. And there was a bunch of these people uh, went to, at, at the time, Bartlesville Wesleyan College. And they were all like, hey, you need to come and visit. And I'm like, why would I leave Southern California to go to Oklahoma? I mean, that was kind of my attitude. You okay? okay. Yeah, that's fine. You good? good. You've been to California. It's fine. Diamond Bar. It's fine. I don't care. Yeah. Well. It's not Bartlesville. Yeah. (laughs) Bartle Murphy's in California. Bartle be a Beyond Burger. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, So anyways, I, crazy enough, I was like, 
okay, I'll come back and look at it. And I mean, at the time they didn't even have a soccer coach in place. And, and, uh, but I decided I went back for like a visitation day and I was like, man, this place is a blast. I had fun. And so I ended up going there. They hired a coach right after who, you know, my soccer coach ended up being a huge influence in my life and, and, uh, Dan Wood and, and just was, yeah, I mean, it just is a crazy experience for me. And, so I, my plan was to go one year of college, you know, that my parents were going to pay for, and I was going to go back and and start this, excuse me, roofing company. And so my buddy was getting all of our stuff in place. And and uh, after my first semester, well, my first semester didn't go that great. I played soccer, uh, but I didn't really go to classes, so that was a little bit of a problem. <laughs> there, done that. Yeah. So you got your soulmate over here. <laughs> I failed every class I took uh, my first semester of college uh, except soccer. And I even got a B in that. Dan said that I didn't have a very good attitude, so I didn't even get an A in <laughs> soccer. So What a punk. Uh, yeah. So anyways, my I, I always tell people, yeah, I had a, 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 three, a 3 GPA and a .3 GPA in <laughs> my first semester in college. So, But when I, I was like, this is a waste of time. I'm going to go back and just start this company. And, uh, like a couple of weeks before I was going to head home, met a girl, you know, how that messes everything up. And, and so I ended up going back and, uh, and d- early on in my second semester of college, I felt I was doing my devotions one day and felt God called me into ministry. And I was like, I don't even know what this means. I so, I mean, I called my dad, called my buddy and I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to s- at least stick it out for a little bit longer in college. And so I did, I ended up going five years because, you know, I had to make up for that first tragic semester. <laughs> victory that I, lap. Hey, I've been on a victory lap. So, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, that was kind of how it all played out. And and yeah. How did, how did you get on that mission trip? The mission trip? Because it would have been yeah. your junior year. It was right after my sophomore year, yeah. I think. Yeah. But uh, dude, I have a picture that the kids dug out from when they were going through stuff during COVID. And it's, we traveled all the way to Oklahoma. And so I'm all in red, Indiana Wesleyan, captain, and I'm shaking hands with the captain of BWC. And we'd just been in Europe all summer together that summer. And we're like, yeah, yeah. That's cool. So the the thing that I I always have to rub in with John is that, of course, we beat them. Yeah, they didn't smash us. It was tight. It was tight, but we still won. So (laughs) That's also because our striker got a stinking red card right in front of your bench. Can you believe that all these years later and he's still crying about a a red card that probably was legit? It was 100% (laughs) legit. I'm, I'm not sad at you. Uh, I'm sad because he was the most gifted player I've ever played with, including uh, professional. And uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, he he. Uh, do you remember I, he uh, he rainbowed I like do. he flicked up a ball behind him that so it comes over his head. It's a trick move, but he did it to their most hot-headed defender or a hot-headed defender right in front of their bench, right? And uh, and then he did it again. Yeah, and the guy was so mad this. that he barged into him and he like broke his face with an el- elbow. Yeah, it was a did. fiasco, yeah. dude. I had to get called <laughs> in do. to I give do. a report. I it was, a, yeah, do. we were at fault. We deserve to lose, but it was a red. I'm just saying. I know. Anyway, dude, I had I'm still to, I had sad. To rub that in, I'm but. still sad. <laughs> 32 years later, I'm still sad. So. Jacob E. saying, control yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, during, Dang uh, it. played soccer and, um, we had this, you know, uh, guy come in, spoke at chapel, uh, and 
He had just gotten back from Uganda, of all places, with Missionary Athletes International. Mm. The Orange Seahorses had gone to Uganda. <laughs> I forgot that was you guys' name. Yeah. That was in California. That was okay. the that California, California office. Yeah, okay. the, that was the California office. Is that name. who you played with at wherever you were? No. Oh, okay. That was the trip. So the, the mission trip that I'm going to talk about that we went on was the Orange Seahorses. Yeah. But we, on that trip, is when John and I both felt called into sports ministry. That's right. And that's how we both ended up in, in Charlotte. Italy. Yeah. 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 I'm talking about the, I don't remember which story it is where you tell you your team name was the Seahorses. Yeah. yeah. It was both of those trips. So the first yeah. trip. Horrible name. Yeah. That's why first, soccer gets made fun of. I want you guys to know that. <laughs> I don't know why they did it. It. <laughs> it wouldn't be, it's not, I mean, it is kind of a funny name, but in California, probably it's, it's, yeah, it's more legit. How does out a seahorse so. kick anything? Yeah. Carries a ball in his pouch. <laughs> but I'd, I'd already, been on a trip uh, my right after my freshman year. So right after my sophomore year, I'd signed up for a trip. And and you said that the chapel speakers what yeah. got you. So this guy came and spoke about this trip. He had just gotten back from uh, with MAI to Uganda. And he was kind of like, yeah, you know, you can uh, combine your passion for Christ and your passion for soccer and use them together and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, hey, man, this sounds pretty good. So, I mean, I literally walked out of that uh chapel service we had a prayer chapel went over and I, I sat down and i was like god if you want me to go on one of these trips make it obvious to me and that was all i prayed i got up and walked out and i went from the prayer chapel was going to go eat lunch and before i was going to eat lunch i thought well, i'm just going to check my mail and i mean so i mean we're talking all of this in a matter of 10 15 minutes so i prayed that prayer god make it obvious to me go over to my uh, uh mailbox and i open it up and there's a brochure for trips from Missionary Athletes International for that summer, 1990. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm like, so I ate lunch. I went back over to uh, my dorm. I called the office out in LA. And I don't know if you remember Chrissy. She was from England. Yep. yep. Chris, she, hello, it's Chrissy from yeah, England. Yeah. So she, I was talking to her and I didn't know her. I mean, I just like, hey, I just got this brochure. I said, I'm interested in going on this trip uh, this summer. Can you send me some stuff? So she was like, yeah, can I have your name, your address, and stuff like that. So I told her my, my name, got about halfway through my address, and she said, are you from Oklahoma? And I'm like, yeah, I live in Oklahoma. And she said, I just sent you an application like three days ago. And this family that I told you started off with, that my, were like my aunt and uncle, uh, Cheryl had called the MAI office and said, hey, you guys need to send an application to, you know, Eric in Oklahoma. So that's how I ended up oh, on the trip, man. The Lord was conspiring against <laughs> yes, you. Yeah. Yes. Did so. you have enough signs? I didn't, man. Yeah. I mean, it still took me like another month. No, I, no, <laughs> I, knew, I knew right then, man. I, even from the brochure, even if she hadn't had already sent me the application, I mean, just the brochure alone, I was like, okay, God, you're making this obvious. So. Yeah, so that's how I ended up on that trip. I mean, that's how John and I met in 1990. On you guys were roommates. We were roommates, yeah. yeah. Oh, the, the rest of the guys were just idiots. No, <laughs> no, we just kind of, I don't know, yeah, it was we just, just a little bit, yeah, you know. We just we, hit it off, man. I we mean, got also, along and, yeah. yeah. And, so then, and, that, and that was a crazy trip, too. Uh, so we don't have to break down that whole trip. Just, this yeah. podcast is not about that trip. But Germany, then we were in three vans that drove to Poland Coach thought it would be a great idea for us to stop at Auschwitz and tour it. Yeah. And that was heavy. That yeah, was heavy. Heavy. Man. Yeah. We we'll could do a whole podcast on Auschwitz. I've been there twice now. Yeah. And then from Poland into what was Czechoslovakia at the time. Mm -hmm. Crazy ministry story. 
Tab family, if you've been around when I've told the story once from stage, let's toast Jesus one more time. <laughs> Eric was there and I was laughing at the table. He was them. laughing because he knew where this was going because he'd I'd already, already been, been down there. that road. Yeah. I'd never been down that road, right? Yeah. Uh, if you don't know the story, you don't need to know it. Uh, and then, dude, just the bus ride through Austria and into the uh, Swiss Alps and then yeah. down into Italy. We were at the 1990 World Cup. It was yeah. like five countries. Yeah, it's crazy. Three we got fender benders, yeah, all by the same guy. World Cup matches, yeah, man. Uh, there was a sausage fight. There was a sausage it's fight on the highway, <laughs> coming into the out. No, in Poland, was, with this crappy yeah. lunch that they'd packed us. Yeah. We were we were grateful, but ninety eight percent meat free sausage yeah. is not to be consumed. That's some California yeah. stuff, right it's there. Yeah. To, no, 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 yeah. dude, this is Polish. Yes, <laughs> we're was... chucking it at each other. It was epic. Yeah, I don't know but if you remember think. this, but. When one of the vans, I was sitting in the front seat and, and Brian was driving and Chris was sitting in the middle and I was on the the, uh, <laughs> the window and one of the vans pulled up next to us and they threw threw it out and I saw it coming. And you told, I do remember. I ducked down and it literally nailed our coach's wife in the head. <laughs> <laughs> because he ducked. Because <laughs> I ducked. It was, Brian, yeah. <laughs> I just got hit with a sausage, Brian. <laughs> It was. it was, yeah, it was, it was, I it was totally out of instinct. I mean, I didn't mean for her to get hit, but it still wasn't probably the greatest oh, for playing time when I, you know, so, allowed my coach's wife to get nailed in the head with a but, sauce. But we, we also learned very important life lessons. We learned important things about the Lord. We learned more, very important things about missions, like foundational principles of missions. Yeah, absolutely. For example, um, when it's about midnight, 1 a.m., and you're at the border of Czechoslovakia, and um, the leader is got everybody's passports with security guards that have Kalashnikovs, right? And one of your guys has to pee. It's not a good idea at the border to suddenly jump out the van and start running <laughs> towards the trees. <laughs> we seriously could and have then, had a casualty. Yeah. No, and then no all doubt. the, because dude, there's commies, they're oh, communists still. And yeah. then they're like, you do not have everyone here. And he's doing a head count and it doesn't match. Yeah. Because the one guy dr decides to go out and take a, you know. He had to go take a leak yeah. in the woods. He went running. Dude, uh, I, we're like, don't go. And he's like, no, I got to go so bad. I'm going to pee my pants. I, I got to go. He goes running in yeah. the dark for the trees. <laughs> so yeah. he comes back. And I'll never forget Rick McKinley. God bless him. Aaron, you don't run to the trees at the border. <laughs> <laughs> and this is like a 20 three-year-old guy yeah. who in the van starts crying. <laughs> <laughs> he was very homeschooled. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes Benji. He's coming for you. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. So that's you go on that trip, yeah. um, make connections, all that stuff. How did you end up um, in Charlotte? Oh, sorry, Florence, man. Yeah, so on that trip, I mean, we ended up in Italy. We had three teams that were kind of all over Europe at the time. We all converged in Italy uh, to do ministry, and we were at this church. They had this service for everybody in Florence, Italy, at this little church, and they, I mean, I don't even remember that much about it other than, you know, they talked about doing sports ministry and all that kind of stuff. Full-time. Yeah, full-time, like, and like full-time calling. And like I said, when I felt called into ministry, I really didn't know what that looked like, what it meant. And so that was where my ministry calling really got specific. And I mean, there was a number of us, uh, Paul Zimmerman, uh, there was um, Tom, was Tom? Tom Merchant. Merchant, yeah. I think yeah. Merchant was on one. Uh, one of there those. was about five or six guys. Five or six guys that we all that. stood up. 
because yeah. there was a bunch of us there, but yeah. only five then, or six of us stood up. Yeah, and four of us, I think, ended in the we in, in Charlotte ended theater. up in Charlotte. So, so that was in '90, and then I graduated in '92 and uh, ended up moving to Charlotte because the Charlotte office was brand new at that time because they were everybody was still out in Southern California, and then so Brian and Rick, who were our our tour leaders. Uh, ended up moving back to Charlotte, started that office and, and it was kind of like, yeah, we're starting this office. And then like when they started it, they're like this, they're like, yeah, we got this thing. Maybe we'd like to have a pro team. And, and it was kind of like, we didn't really know what was going to happen with that. And so I ended up moving back there. It took me about a year to raise support. And then I ended up moving back there and started, uh, the first year uh, I was with Rick. We uh, ended up helping him uh, co-lead or I was his assistant director for trip to Russia. And then uh, that summer I led a, uh, a U19 team for the seahorses mm-hmm. with Gary Hogue, if you remember you, that. You you really were part of piloting. So just to back up a second, when yeah. we say sports ministry, we had three components. We took these international trips because yeah. soccer, no offense, but football is the capital of the world. It, it was a passport to anywhere in the country. Yeah. You go to a closed country if you're bringing a soccer team, yeah. which is also why they named themselves the seahorses and not the Orange County Christian Crusaders, <laughs> it, it, you know what I mean, yeah, or yeah. or the Knights Templar of God. But there are you know? plenty of other names than the Seahorse. This is true. <laughs> yeah. This is true. They but, can try all day. <laughs> but that was just the you know the Seahorse. Yeah. We had the Eagles, and so you took these missions trips. But we also did summer camps for kids because yeah. soccer was booming. It still is, but yeah. you know you want to send your kid to camp for a week, and it's a Christian camp, and so it's like a soccer VBS. Mm-hmm. We did those all up and down the East Coast. Yeah. Um, and then teams were a part of it, whether they were youth teams or they actually, we, I guess it was, we at the time bought a professional franchise. We bought the rights to the, what was the USISL. Now it's the USL, Mm -hmm. um, uh, which there was no major league soccer. So this was the highest division and they had the franchise and all of us are living on nothing. Like we're all support raising missionaries and we think we're going to put a pro team into the pro league. It's not a Christian. People have asked me that. Was it a Christian league? Yeah. No. Yeah. It was a cutthroat yeah. professional league. And it was about what, what the pit spitters um, would be now. It was about mm-hmm. that size. And uh, yeah. So. Yeah. So. Yeah. So. Uh, so then a year or so after I got there. 94. 94. So it would have been. Or actually I moved there November 93 with Darcy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. So then John and I worked together on the, the high school trips and yeah, I mean, so our friendship even grew even deeper, you know, and soccer yeah. youth pastors, baby. Yeah, we were. Play and on the team. He played more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because they won. Yeah, uh, yeah, they exactly. It all goes back <laughs> to the game. Now you see my eggs. <laughs> Just the little things uh, at the pro level, the little things. Uh, we, we were a great combination. I was kind of the, you know. Uh, John was a good cop. I was a bad cop, and <laughs> and uh, he, you know, how he is, just keeps everybody going, brings fun to the party, and I was the one. I don't get along with kids very good, man. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it was just crazy since Stop I was like stupid. the uh, yeah. That's what <laughs> I was. I was like, I had been through all that in high school. I'm like, why would you do this? That is so stupid. Like, so I just wanted him to change like immediately. I didn't really have much kind of like. This is me and Adam term. Sharp. Yeah, great. <laughs> this is me and Adam Sharp. That's, I'm the fun guy. Yeah. Joke around, yeah. and Adam is the yeah. enforcer. Stop yeah. it. My favorite moment that I've had with Adam. You met him upstairs. Uh-huh. We're at a camp, and I'm sleeping. I, I was in a speaker cabin, but that was just because I needed to get some sleep. But so I'm over in here, and I get a text from Adam, and he goes. 
am I allowed to go into another church's youth group's cabin and tell them to shut up? <laughs> he goes, I don't know if their leader knows what he's doing. <laughs> and I you said, said yes. I, said, I wouldn't, but I'm sure you will. And, uh, he, already, and he takes me back, done. <laughs> <laughs> well, the one story that I got to tell about John, I mean, like John, one of the trips that we were in Amsterdam, we had the, our training camp there and one of the one of the players brought. Uh, do you remember this? Brought clippers with him. Oh yeah, he's giving haircuts and giving haircuts. So like we mohawks buzzes. <laughs> he was doing we and you know I mean we're there to like try to share Christ and and stuff like that and like all of a sudden everybody's getting their head shaved and I'm like. We're starting to look like the Aryan nation here, basically. <laughs> I mean, it was not good. One guy got uh, it, another guy, everyone uh, wanted it. Uh, and then, I, so I finally had to say, if you did not have your haircut sh- like this before you come on this trip, nobody else is getting their haircut. So, like, I make this big speech, did it all that kind of stuff. The next thing I know, after I make this big speech... <laughs> John comes out with his head shaved. <laughs> they, they I didn't were, hear the speech. I did not hear the speech. And I'm supposed to be his colleague in crime. And I had this sweet shaved hair. I forgot about that. That was. So I, I was like, I was like, you yeah, you can cut my hair. I don't care. They're like, they were gonna get him in trouble with it. Yeah. And so then, and then this other kid after John, they he had this real bushy hair, you know, like real long. Yeah. And somebody's like, well, we know how to do this. They shaved him right down the center of his head. So he had these two big clumps of hair. And so then he had to. And I, then I was like, where are the clippers? I'm taking the clippers. I can't trust John or any of the rest of you. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's a good memory. That was funny. We, 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 we worked out the kinks in the relationship. <laughs> uh, so I laughed about it after were you the totally, fact. Like you were there for how many years before you felt it's time to move on? Yeah, so I was there from 92 to 97 so i was there yeah, for five right. years yeah yeah and so. and not not just that we worked together um eric he had a roofing company mm-hmm. and knows his way around a hammer yeah you know and so i'm not going to give you a story now where we were out building wheelchair ramps for people like when stuff broke i'd be like eric how do i fix this <laughs> you know <laughs> on a car at the house barbecued yeah. together we're always hanging yeah, out together yeah. and so the friendship was deep mm-hmm. i mean we've been in some crazy international yeah. situations yeah, together we but we also saw god move yeah, in absolutely. some amazing ways awesome places like sweden uh, we made a lifelong friend of a pastor yeah. i don't know if he listened to the podcast but to in a Volten, yeah. who i we're still in contact with yeah. on facebook yeah. my daughter went and and stayed in his home when she was on a european trip yeah um just a lovely man of god yeah. and uh and and a viking yeah. taller than you yeah and will hurt you when he hugs you like literally like legit guy but just saw God move in some amazing ways, change yeah. lives. And yeah, that's, that's got to amazing. play together and work together, and it was just good times. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. 97, you're done um, with kind of the Charlotte area. So, what, what yeah. starts to unfold there? So, at that time, I went back. Uh, it was kind of a crazy deal. I had uh, dated a, a girl for a long time, the girl that made me go back to college and stay there and stuff like that, and dated her for quite a long time. And um, just it was looking like that wasn't gonna, you know, work, or we weren't gonna get married, and so um, I had a, a accountability partner, and he was kind of like tired of hearing me like complain about all of that, you know. And one day I remember I was sitting there, we were talking, and he was like, he said, Eric, he said, I think you should move away from Charlotte, 
because this girl had moved back there or whatever. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty bold statement, you know? And so, uh, so literally later that afternoon, I got a call from Oklahoma Wesleyan University and called me and asked me if I was interested in going and coaching the men's soccer team there. And so I was like, okay. So that was, that was kind of that next transition. Ended up going back to, to Bartlesville and coached there for three years. And in that time is when, um, I ended up meeting uh, who the lady who's now my wife, and we uh, were back out in Southern California uh, again. I mean, so many meaningful things in my life. You know, with my uh, aunt and uncles uh, Jerry and Cheryl, they they had adopted daughter from Korea, and so grew up with her. And my wife, uh, although she grew up in South Dakota, ended up going out to Southern California to Pacific University and. Uh, became really good friends with Marcy, and and so my wife and I met at her wedding, and so uh, that's a whole long story, but just a total God story. So we met. I was thirty years old at the time. Um, she was she was about five years younger than I am, but uh, about a year later we got married, and and uh, so at the time I was coaching uh, men's soccer at Oklahoma Wesleyan. Um, was. Uh, planning on going into business with my dad. We were going to start building houses together. And so that was kind of what Susan signed up for or whatever. And a month after we got married, I was uh, back out in Southern California, was with Charlie, uh, John's brother-in-law. Uncle at, Charlie. At, been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. At the at a camp out there at uh, Skyline Westland. And and Adrian Dupre was the, was the speaker. Mm. And uh, did the four chairs, mm. and I'm listening to this, and I'm like, I'm definitely not sitting in that first chair. And so, you know, the altar call of that is getting down prostrate and just saying, God, what's keeping me from sitting in that first chair? And I just was praying that, and and as soon as I s- stood up, there was a pastor that walked by me, and I was like, I just, I was like, God said, you're supposed to be a pastor. And I was like, okay, I've been married a month. My wife thinks I'm going to coach soccer and build houses. And God, you are saying you want me to, to become a pastor. And so it was already late out in California, you know, so it was a couple hours later. So I just remember going back to my hotel room and just getting down on my knees and just praying like, God, if you're really calling me to this, like, I can't do this on my own. Like, you have to call Susan. Like, she has to be on board with this. And... So I, I didn't call her that night because, you know, it was late. And so the next day I was flying home, called her from the Houston airport. And I'm like, hey, I got some exciting news for you, but I want to tell you in person. And so after later after that, you know, when she picked me up from the airport, I told her about the whole situation. And, and she, she said as soon as I told her that in the Houston airport, she said, I knew we were moving. And so it wasn't I just I didn't only just feel the call to be a pastor. It was like you're called to be a pastor and you need to go to seminary. And that was like, it was just, cause I wasn't a great student. I never really, you know, gave it a very good effort in college. And, and so it was just, that's what it was. And so I shared all that stuff with her. I had to share with my dad. I mean, that was pretty hard. I mean, cause like I said, my dad and I were so close and, and he was looking forward to us, but I did end up coaching the last, that last season. And then they let me, the second half of the year where I'd normally have been recruiting and stuff like that, uh, I built a house with my dad, one house. And then that next summer, we moved to, to Wilmore, Kentucky, ended up going to Asbury Theological Seminary. And, um, and yeah, so that was, 
That was, it just is amazing because it's one of those situations where like each step you just see how God moves and kind of leads into the next season of our life. Because while we were there uh, is when my wife became friends with a, a lady who uh, was a social worker and worked with families adopting little girls from China. And so my wife, you know, came home from hearing about all these little girls in China and it was like, like, I just feel like God's laying this on my heart that we'd adopt a little girl from China. And I was like, no, I have zero interest in that. I don't want to have anything to do with adoption. And you know how it is with God, man. You just say those kind of things. <laughs> and it's like, so I went from that to, you know, I lead an orphan care ministry. I have an adopted daughter. I, from up China. In, from China. Up until recently, you know, just ser- I served as the, the U.S. pastoral director for Orphan Sunday and San Sunday with Christian Alliance for Orphans. And so my whole life shifted and but it really was a part you know we ultimately um i it was a long process my wife prayed for me for eight years for us to ultimately end oh, so up in, was was that before your your son and daughter were born yeah we didn't have any kids wow. at that time so that we were still in, in seminary didn't have any kids of our own at that time uh when it was first laid on her yeah heart. Wow. yeah so we, you know, Ray, she got pregnant with Reagan right at the very end of, of our time in seminary. And she, Reagan was born in Colorado when we f- was at our first church out there or whatever. And, and, uh, but yeah, it was eight years, man. She just would always just say, Hey, don't forget about that little girl in China. And so kind of fast forward, lots of story in between that. But I mean, the bottom line is I ultimately ended up at a church in Rock Island, Illinois. I was an outreach pastor there. And, um, our, uh, we had ministry partners that were in China and did medical ministry and stuff like that. And so I ultimately, you know, went on a mission trip to China and met so, a little, yeah. So, so wait a second. Yeah. When you went to China, you weren't thinking about adopting. Well. Because, because you yeah. said all along, look how God worked. But yeah. like one of our themes, and it's Britain's fault. One of our themes, and it's really good language, and every new staff member—I was joking that it's your fault. Every new staff member contributes significantly to our lexicon, to our vocabulary, to our DNA. Yeah. And so Britain's always talking about giving God your yes. Yeah. And so far in your story, everything has been yes, 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 yes. But then when he spoke to Susan, it was no. Yeah. But in this eight-year process, so that's why I want to know. So you go to China just to do a mission trip. Yeah, I mean, I did. I mean, that was the the main focus. And how did it change to? Well, because I, I met Little Hope. Yeah, your wife's name is Hope. I've yeah. met Little Hope. Yeah, she's yeah. a sweet. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, she's a sweetheart. Well, you know, obviously, I mean, it's one of those situations when you know when your wife's been praying you for eight years. It's <laughs> kind of like going back to the for parents, like right. don't give up. You know, I mean, same thing <laughs> with my wife, man. She never nagged me. She just was like. Just don't forget about that little girl. And I knew she was praying for me and stuff like that. Well, the the week before we were leaving for China, we had all of our, you know, the team over um, and, you know, just we're going to have all their spouses and their kids and stuff like that. So we were having dinner, kind of last team meeting before we went on the trip. And and one of the couples uh, that were there, friends of ours, um, the wife was going, but they had had uh, Chinese um international students in their home for many years. They didn't have any kids of their own and you know, at the time. And, and they, uh, so he, in front of the whole team says, yeah, I told Stephanie, yeah, just bring a couple of girls home that we can adopt or something like that. So then the topic of adoption comes up like a week before I'm going to, to China. And, 
And Susan's like, yeah, you know, I've been praying for Eric for eight years, you know, and stuff like that. So then the team's like totally rousing me, you know, and like, oh yeah. So like now- peer pressure, man. It was, it was peer pressure. But like, you know, I mean, again, I'm at this point, I'm far enough in my faith journey to know that like, this is an accident. Like, you know, my wife's been praying for me for eight years. I'm the pastor of a place that has a, you know, ministry partner in China. And now I'm going to China. And so we, we've ultimately went there and was sitting in a, a, a international church service or whatever. And uh, the lady who was kind of our, you know, partner or guide, whatever for the trip got up and gave this prayer request to this little girl who needed open heart surgery. And she was two years old at the time. You see how this is all conspiring? <laughs> Dude, I got a little a, a little laugh here. Yeah. Right there, a little laugh here. Yep. Mr. Hole in Your Heart. Oh, the Grinch goodness. over here from Diamond Bar. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, seriously, like, and so my, I hear this and I'm like, so I perk up a little bit and they're like, yeah, this little girl needs open heart surgery. Well, like three days later, we're in her foster home and I'm holding this little girl on my arms, man. And I still got the picture, you know, when she's sitting on my lap and, and I'm just like, okay, God, like, I know I've been like saying no all these years, but like, is it time for me to say yes? Like, I, I know this isn't an accident. And so in the meantime, I'm calling Susan from China, like, Hey, I met this little girl. She needs open heart surgery. And I mean, you... I couldn't see it, but like I could visualize it, you know, just the smile on Susan's face for just being so faithful for all those years praying and all that kind of stuff. So we were having conversations, but I still at that point still hadn't really just like gone over the line. Like, yeah, I'm ready to adopt. But I was like at least telling her about, you know, about her name. Chinese name is Xiaoxia. And so, so we talked over a few times. And when I finally got home from, from China, the first night, you know, I showed pictures of her and showed video and stuff like that. And it was like 2.30 in the morning, you know, I was jet lagged. And she's like, just like stay, anything that she could do to stay awake because she still wanted to have this conversation. And so we're literally laying there in bed talking about it. I still hadn't said anything about adopting, but I did have this thought. If we adopt this little girl, I want to name her Hope. I had that in my mind. I didn't say anything to Susan. And so I have this thought and like two minutes later, Susan says, if we adopt this little girl, I want to name her Hope. And I'm like, (laughs) we literally got out of bed and like went to the computer and like, how do you adopt from China? And it's that it's a long, crazy story. It's, it's so many miracles in the whole process because that was like on a Saturday. And then on Monday, I started calling a bunch of adoption agencies and they're like, yeah, we can't work with you because China doesn't allow what they call pre-identified adoption. So you can't meet a child and then want to adopt them because of human trafficking and all that kind of stuff. So they're like, we, we won't even work with you. And so I probably called four or five different agencies all saying the same thing. And then we finally got one that said, hey, they said the same thing. They said, but we'll, we'll at least work with you, but you just have to know you're not going to get this little girl. It's never going to happen. And they said, it's like, it's going to be like finding a needle in a haystack. It's going to dig miracle. They just on and on. And I'm like, okay, we got it. We got it. And so we just were like, you know what? If you're willing to work with this, we feel so compelled that this is a little girl that we're supposed to adopt that like, we just will go. And if it doesn't work out and we end up adopting another little girl, that's great. And so we started down the road, man. And I mean, it just... I literally am writing a book about it right now because there's so many miracles in it. It is, 
It really is a, a an amazing story of just God's faithfulness, doing miracles, and obviously she's um, she's our daughter now. You know, she's fifteen years old. She was five years old when she came home with us. It took us three years uh, to bring her home, and it was the most brutal experience of my life of just the ups and downs, roller coasters of of just heartache. And and it was during that time I was you know serving as his outreach pastor, missions pastor. And I was like, God just really kept laying on my heart. Like, you know, what are you going to do with this? Like, now that you know that there's this major need for, you know, all these kids out there, like, what are you going to do? So we ended up starting a a ministry kind of focused around adoption because that was kind of what we were going through. And then, and then I was like realizing, man, we got all kinds of international ministry partners that are caring for orphans. And, and then Several years, like right after Hope came home with this, I was I was at my first Christian Alliance for Orphans conference, and they were talking about foster care, and I was like, I was like oblivious. I'm like, how am I an outreach pastor, and I don't even know about this, you know? And so we ultimately started a ministry focused around foster care adoption and global orphan care, and that was at the church, and then down the road um, is where we, after my dad passed away very unexpectedly, that we just felt like God was really stirring us to take that model that we had started at the church and really help lots of churches uh, do it. So that's how Faces with Names ended up kind of launching and becoming reality and stuff like that. That was that we moved back to Oklahoma at that time and this is when we started the ministry. And and so you're and, the, you're the, like you're ty- you're the director, you're the president, yeah. you're the you're the face of it, you're the whole show. Yeah, I mean that's faces yeah. with names. Yeah, faces with. Why names. did you choose faces with names? I mean, it should be obvious, but just like, yeah. why did you decide to call it that? So you know, um, I was on a. We had two mission teams out. One was in in Burma, and the other was in Nepal. And so I flew over, and I was in uh, Burma, Myanmar, with our team, and we ended up going to this uh, prison way out in the middle of nowhere and it was like 450 kids young kids 18 in prison in prison 18 and younger and i mean it was out in the middle of nowhere i I remember i wrote about it i wrote this blog about it when we were driving down this road and i uh the title was the road to the unwanted and i was like so this is what the road to the unwanted looks like it's just like you don't want to deal with these kids so you just put them out there, and they're street kids or kids that you know they had committed crimes and stuff like that. But half about half of them were orphans, and so when we went there, I mean, I'm meeting these kids, I'm getting to you know seeing their faces, learning their names and stuff like that. So that was kind of the first part of it. And then uh, a couple of days later, I flew to Nepal. There were you know lots of street kids in Nepal, and we were working with the orphanage there. And the guy who was kind of our partner at the time. It was like, hey, I want to take you out on the streets uh, and show you these kids. And so we were leaving the next day. Uh, we were coming back into town about 1130 at night. And I get on the back of his motorcycle and he's like, I'm going to go show you these kids. So we're like right in front of the international airport in Kathmandu. I get on the back of his motorcycle and I borrowed some like extra clothes, like jackets, stuff like that uh, from the people because I was getting on the back of his motorcycle. And we probably rode maybe a quarter mile and we came across this first group of kids and I was like, so he was talking to him, asking him questions. And this kid is, gave us his name was Robin and he was 12 years old and he was telling this story and he had been on the street since he was three years old and had just gotten abandoned by his parents. And he like survived all this time and they were just, 
He was telling us, and I was like, nine years, nine years, yeah, twelve year old kid. He was twelve years old, and I mean, like my kids weren't that old at the time, but I'm like, I can't, I'm like, I can't even imagine this. Like, I don't even like what I'm hearing right now does not have any filter for like real life for me at all, you know, and and it was so interesting because. When that, like, the, when that experience, when I got to see those kids, all these kids are sitting and they, they had, you know, all the street vendors, they had their boxes, you know, that they just discarded. And so these kids had built a little fire. They were all sitting in boxes that they cut the front out of, flip-flops on, shorts, you know. They had, like, a jacket. But, I mean, it was cold out, man. I mean, it was cold. And they're just sitting there. And I'm like, like, I this is not all right with me, you know. And... So that's really ultimately where Faces with Names come. I was like, I've seen his face. I know his name. And like, it's not just a kid's face on a brochure anymore for me. You know, like this is a real kid. Like God knows them. And the um, uh, the verse, you know, that the really kind of resonated with me was like, uh, I think it's Psalm 147.4, I think it is. I, that might be wrong, but it's, you know, it talks about God places the stars in the sky and he calls them each by name. And for me, like when I read that verse, I was like, okay, if God cares that much about stars and names them and puts them in place, how much more does he care about these kids? And, and so that's, that was kind of just the, the major shift for me of just putting a name with a face and that God knows every single one. You know, I write, the, write your name on the palm of my hand. I mean, like he cares about these kids and they're so discarded. And so, yeah, that was a major shift for me. Um, yeah. So faces with names is, so your ministry is, you said foster care, international adoption, yeah. or not so much anymore. You said orphan care. What yeah. was the third one? Yeah, it was adoption. Um, and that was kind of when we first started the ministry, that was, that was really our focus and and it still is to a certain extent. I mean, we're definitely still engaged in that. But you know, as you know, I mean, we, about a year and about two years ago, we kind of had this major shift to Uganda. And so before, I mean, we really were kind of serving as you know consultants or whatever for churches to help them develop ministries around that same model that we started: foster care, adoption, global orphan care. And it's messy, man. I mean, it's a hard ministry. It's, you know, there's there's a lot to it. I mean, it's not just an easy, like, hey, I'm just going to go serve one day. I mean, when you really start engaging in kids' lives that, you know, come from really traumatic backgrounds and traumatic family situations, it's it's not an easy overnight fix. And so, I mean, so we really tried to walk alongside churches, families that were doing that and felt that calling and stuff like that. But the shift that kind of took place to Uganda um, happened started in 2019. I mean, I was I was um, really kind of in the lowest season of my life. We we had served uh, when we started Faces with Names. We were under the umbrella of another organization, and they, they had their we had our 501c3 through them. And over time, I mean, they were amazing. We love them, still love them, and everything else. But it just it was difficult because people were kind of confused, like. How are you? Why are you underneath this? And done all that kind of stuff. So we were going to get our own 501c3. And anyways, in that process, the IRS made a mistake. And when it was all said and done, classified us as a 501c4, and which is a political action group. Donors don't get tax donations. Oh my goodness. And it shut us down. It basically like kind of shut us down. And so I was like, okay, God, like we're just gaining momentum. Like we're re- things are really going well. And it's like, now what? Like, you know? And so, I mean, I was renovating houses and doing some stuff just to try to make a living and stuff like that. Well, then COVID kind of was coming, you know, 
And I had been, I thought, oh, maybe I'm supposed to go back to be a pastor again, all these different things. So I had interviewed for a bunch of different things, and and all of a sudden it was kind of like nothing, nothing was happening. And, I mean, I had never experienced that in my life. I mean, I usually, when I applied for something, I usually got it, I mean, for whatever reason. And and that was kind of the only thing that I knew. And so, I mean, I was getting, like, turned down left and right for, like, almost a year and a half. And my wife and I, I mean, were like, Seriously, God, have you forgotten about us? And it was it was definitely the, it was kind of my, not really a crisis of faith, but just kind of like in the midst of all of it, I mean, I was still really saying, God, like, I trust you. I believe that you're going to do it. But it's hard because, like, we're like, we're like sucking, you know, air through a straw here. I mean, it's it's brutal. And so when all of that happened, uh, I was at a, a Christian Alliance for Orphans conference in Louisville, Kentucky in 2019. And um, at that time, our Orphan Sunday leader from Uganda brought a king from Uganda uh, to the conference. And so I got a chance to meet this king, you know, just very briefly and stuff like that. It was cool. Got to take a picture Like a with real him. life king. Yeah. So in Not Uganda. Not a chief. Yeah. Britain. <laughs> a king. A king. Yeah. I'm with you. So in Uganda, there are 13 recognized kings. So they're more, they would be more like, uh, like, what would be considered governors or that, because there's a president and there's the kings. But, I mean, in this kingdom, there's still 4 million people. So it's not like this right. little, I mean, it's still big and stuff like that. And so I met him and it was cool. You know, like, you hey, don't get to meet a king every day and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and uh, I met a lord at the tabernacle. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but you met a king. So, so that was in May of 2019. And, Later that year, I mean, I had just I had interviewed for another job, a pastor job, you know, a month or so before that, didn't get it, and I know we're like, seriously, God. And so I'm out mowing my yard one day in September, and I get this call. I'm listening to praise and worship music again because I'm just like, God, I'm not giving up. I'm sticking with you. I'm listening to praise and worship music. I get this call. I don't recognize the number, which I normally wouldn't answer, but for whatever reason, I'm thankful I did. And I answer the phone, and it's this king from Uganda. Who gets a phone call on his mower from a king? <laughs> I'm he, calling shenanigans. <laughs> so he calls me. How does a king have your like? Do you like swap we, digits with the king? We hey, can did. I have your number. We we he asked. I would my never card. go to a king. And go, hey, hey, do you king? Do you need my number? King? <laughs> do you need it? I, I did <laughs> ask him. He actually asked me. Was like the king asked me for need. my digits. Yeah, something somebody. you might need someday. Yeah. So. <laughs> What's his name? King what? King. John Wyerberry. Christostom Wyerberry. Christostom. So King yeah. Christostom John Wyerberry yeah. calls so, you. And he says to me, I'm flying into Tulsa tomorrow. Would you be willing to pick me up from the airport and receive me into your home? And I'm like, um, sure. <laughs> like, do you say no to that or what? You know? And So the king of four million people, what'd you pick him up in? The minivan? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. You picked him in the Honda Odyssey. Yeah. I'm like, that's what I had, man. That yeah. was his plan, though? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But I'm over here like, that's such an international travel story, right? Like, yeah. I bought a ticket to this, but I don't know where we're going to stay or whatever. Would you show hospitality? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, did you have to kick a kid out of a room? 
we gave up our room for him. Oh, yeah. He got the master suite. So I'm like, I say to my wife, I go in and I'm like, okay, you're not going to believe this, but there's a king from Uganda coming tomorrow <laughs> and staying at our house. <laughs> And, so, and I'm picking him up. He called me while I was going. <laughs> you yeah. have to get the card <laughs> detailed, like, yeah. and you're what? giving up your bed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like Susan says, like, what do you do? I'm like, I don't know. We better clean the house, I guess. We still have stuff in our garage. Our garage still isn't functional after he came because we moved so much <laughs> stuff out. We're like, it has to be clean and all this stuff. So it was crazy, man. I mean, I'm just like, seriously. But, you know, I tell people that when we were asking God, have you forgotten about us? God sends a king from Uganda to remind us that the king of kings had not forgotten about us. Mm. And I'm like, who, like, you can't even make this stuff up, you know? So he comes, stays at our house, and it was, was amazing. What he doing in Tulsa? Would he go to that burger place? Yeah, just going to Whataburger? Yeah. The yeah. first <laughs> place we took him, Murphy's. Hey, did you go. take the king to Murphy's? <laughs> gravy, gravy overall. <laughs> gravy overall, yeah. Did he like it? He did like it, man. Did he like it? There's yeah, not a person in this world, yeah. besides probably somebody from California, <laughs> that wouldn't like Murphy's. <laughs> yeah. Was well, what was he doing in Tulsa? Just so wanted to hang out? Wanted he, to hang with Eric? He had meetings, I guess. And so I took him to all these meetings. Meetings, and then I said, I mean, like, you know, like when you have a king stay in your house, you're like, man, I want, I want people to meet him, you know? So I said, it's a meeting. Did you go to the, sorry, there's too many details. I know. <laughs> did you show up in flip flops or were you like, I'm going to no, put on I shoes? actually, I actually dressed up, man. I, I legitimately yeah. dressed up. Was he and dressed I, up or wearing joggers? No, he was in a suit. He was in a suit. Dang, kings don't so, mess. So it's interesting because, you know, because people ask like, well, because like in Uganda, I mean, like he's got military guards and this whole unit and everything else. And, and don't tell me you called your brother. You called Chad. We need a security <laughs> detail. Because <laughs> you were like Bub. Yeah. He had the 357 yeah. in, his, yeah. in his waistband with so. his CPL going, I got this. <laughs> you don't need no, one he, he's oh, that's like, right. His, his answer to that is nobody knows who I am over here. I don't oh, need security that? in the U.S. Nobody knows who I am. So he's a practical. Yeah, he is. And, and it's crazy. He, this guy has a biblical testimony, man. I mean, he was a born again Christian before he became King. Uh, he, he, he started off as a Catholic and he had a death experience and God saved him from that. He started writing worship songs. And of course he's going back to the Catholic church saying, Hey, you know, I want to sing these songs. And they're like, I know we don't sing those kind of songs here. So he literally started his first church out in the front of his grandpa's house. He was an orphan himself, and he uh, started singing worship songs that he had written because God saved his life out in front of Orange Tree, his first church that he planted. And they it grew to 300 churches in Uganda um, that he was the bishop so over. So he's church the church planner and a pastor. He, he was, that was his heart. And, uh, you know, if you remember back in the day, Idi Amin, yeah. military dictator, killed a bunch of kings, a bunch of them fled. And then uh, the current president, Museveni, reestablished the kingships in the early 90s. So of, so there was the, there's 108 clans as a part of the, what's called the Bugweri Kingdom. And so they were kind of a lot of clans that didn't have, so they all joined together to develop this Bugweri Kingdom. And he was the first king of the Bugweri Kingdom. And, and he's a Christian guy. He is a, he's a pastor and a king. How do I get pastor. that job? I want to be pastor. What's yeah. he doing in Tulsa? <laughs> <laughs> he's eating stuck. at the burger place, Murphy's. He's at Murphy's. <laughs> the only thing that I can say is that God sent him to yeah. us, man. I mean, like, because I'm like, I'm asking the same thing. Like, right. like, how, like, what if I wouldn't have answered? Yeah. 
You know, right. or what? I mean, like, who else was he going to call? I mean, like, he already had a plane ticket. Wow. And so I, the only thing that I can say is that God sent him to our house, yeah. man. I mean, yeah. and I mean, had, I took him some other meetings. I mean, he did have some other meetings set up, but That's I mean, awesome. I don't know who would have taken <laughs> right. him if he hadn't. Uh, and so, and even like with, like, you know, talking about the, the guards and like, how mm-hmm. does he, like, so, like, he was legitimate, like still serving as a pastor and bishop. So he would go around to the churches. And so like when he, after he became king, and so like when he would go into the churches, he would say to this, his military guards, you're not coming in here. God has protect is God's protecting me in here. Like, so I'm, I'm covered. And mm-hmm. so, but I mean, he, even like the guys that I, the military guys that I've gotten to know have been there three times this last year. And I mean, those guys, they're believers. I mean, cause they're just around this family and these, this family loves the Lord, man. And it's, so he was the only born again King in Uganda. And then also he, they had put him over like this, I don't know, it's like this club of, I don't know, he's not a club, but I mean, over this King, all these Kings from all these different countries and he clearly knew. He would say, "I know why God called me this. Like I, I now meet with presidents, prime ministers, and kings, and I tell them about the King of Kings. That's why God allowed me to do this." So he, he is one of the most fascinating people I've ever met in my life. Um, and so, anyway, so when all when he came, I mean, it was just a, a crazy experience. It was pretty amazing and stuff like that. But didn't really think much about it. So that's the end of 2019. And going into 2020, I, I first week of January, I get this random guy. I'd never even met this guy. Calls me and says, "Hey, uh, we have this ministry. It's based in in Tulsa. Um, we serve in Uganda. We're looking for a child sponsorship director. Are you interested?" Didn't even know this guy, so I'm like, "Oh man, maybe this is the connection with the king. This is why I came and stuff like that. Maybe this is how I'm going to get a job and stuff." So I interview with that. Another turn down, man. I mean. And then that guy had given my name to another guy, a church uh, in Tulsa that was that worked in Court d'Ivoire, Court d'Ivoire mm-hmm. in, in yep. Western Africa, Ivory Coast, yeah, yeah. Ivory Coast, and and they were they had a, a church ministry that they were going they wanted to change into a five hundred one c three, and they were they wanted to know if I want to be the executive director of that. That guy came up to my office, drove up to Bartlesville, met with me literally the week before COVID shut down. Mm. And I was kind of like, okay, God, like what in the world's going on? And so, and, but then it like, it kind of started making me think like, man alive. I mean, if I was working for them, I'd be doing the, if I, we started relaunched faces with names, it kind of, so I just had started having these kind of like thoughts about that and stuff. And, and, but anyways, when COVID happened, I didn't have a job and an income. And I saw on Facebook that we have a Walmart distribution center close to us. And they were like, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know it. Yeah. And so I'm like, I told my wife, I'm like, they're hiring like you on the spot. Cause I mean, you know, that's when Walmarts were like empty and they couldn't hardly keep the shelves full. And I was like, I don't feel like it can get any lower for me at this point. Like, but I was like, I got to provide for my family. So I went, got a job at at Walmart. I was driving a, a forklift and literally like the second day on the job, I'm working with all these people, not believers. And I go there on my second day, we're getting ready for just finishing up lunch. We're getting ready to time back in on the clock. And this lady says to me, is it true that you're a pastor? And I'm like, 
yeah, I am a pastor. I mean, I still to this day, I don't have any idea how they found out because I never said anything unless like somebody from the HR mm -hmm. department maybe said something to one of them. Because I mean, obviously I told them that's mm -hmm. my background and stuff like that. So the lady, <laughs> and I, I mean, I was like embarrassed, man. I mean, I was like, I've got a master's degree and I've worked at big churches and I've done all, you know, and I'm like, and now I'm going to go drive a forklift at, you know, Walmart. And I was like so embarrassed. I told my wife and kids, I'm like, do not tell anybody that I'm working at Walmart. And I just, I, like I said, I just felt like it couldn't get any lower. And that lady says to me, is it true that you're a pastor? And I said, yes, I am a pastor. So the team, I, you know, you worked in teams of three and the, the lady, as soon as that lady said that and asked me that, and then everybody's asking like, is it true you're a pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. So I go back, we start working again. The lady who's training me, come to find out she's a pastor's kid, grew up like two cities over from me in Southern California and is like definitely not living for the Lord. I mean, like we're, we started at 4.30 in the morning and she's blasting highway to hell at 4.30 a.m. in the morning and like, it was crazy. So, so she started saying to me, oh, yeah, so it's true, you're a pastor. And yeah, so my dad was a pastor. And I was like, okay, God, I know why you have me here, you know? And then it just changed my whole perspective. And I'm like, where, like, if this is where you have me right now, this is what I'm going to do. And so it, it, I went from like, don't tell anybody to like, man, I'm working at Walmart. Yeah, I'm getting to minister to all these people. And it just changed my perspective. Well, about two months into that, I'm driving a forklift one day. And I, the Holy Spirit just like, you're supposed to work with King John. And I'm like, I literally said out loud, God, do you really need- Not you. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't no king. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, do you really need me to care for orphans and widows in Uganda? And it was just like almost an immediate response. If you're, you know, if you have a faith background and feel like God's talking to you, I mean, it was just like, God just said, no, I don't need you to take care of orphans and widows in Uganda. I just need you to be obedient. Mm. And I was like, okay, seriously, God, like now I've got to go home and tell my wife that we're, I'm, that you're calling me to Uganda in the middle of a pandemic to try to restart a nonprofit organization. Like nothing makes sense in this. Mm. So I went home, told my wife and told her what God, like what, God was sharing in my heart and laying on my heart. <clears throat> Excuse me. And she was like, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. And so I just started doing a bunch of research. I ended up finding an a organization that's from up here in Michigan. This guy had been working with the king for a number of years, supporting the orphans and widows over there. There's 2,000 orphans uh, over there at four different orphan care centers or orphanages and about 1,200 widows that they were caring for. And I was like, well, if there's already other organizations doing this, like, why do you need me to do this? And so I called this guy. I, I reached out to him by email, and then I called him. We got on a Zoom call. I told him the whole story, and he was just like, you know, we've worked for them a long time. But like he said, I've never even been to Uganda. Like, we only started this because out of obedience too, you know? And so the more we got to talking and stuff like that, long story short, over time, they decided to give us their 501c3, so they disbanded their organization um, and gave us their 501c3, and then he was just he became one of our board members and was really helping us work with the king. 
So for about six months, we're like, okay, how's this going to work? How are we going to you know, plan this and work with the king over there? And so in November of 2021, I was supposed to go over to Uganda for the first time. And it was, it was right around our, or it might've been 20. Uh, I can't remember one of our elections where it was the same mm-hmm. time frame as our elections. And they were having their elections in January. So they had a bunch of political unrest. There was a bunch of people that got shot and were killed in Kampala. And my board's like, yeah, you're not going. So I, I told him like, I think I need to postpone. Let's wait till after the elections. I'll go over after that. And, um, so that we're, you know, now in February timeframe of 2021, I guess it was. And, and, uh, I call, he called me and we were planning for my trip. I was leaving two weeks in February. I was going over two weeks later and we're talking through it and I could tell he didn't feel good. You know, can you kind of hear that in somebody's voice? It was a Friday night and Sunday morning I got a, a, a email from his wife or a WhatsApp from his wife. I'd never communi- I had never communicated with anybody else. And through the whole process, I was like, hey, should we be bringing anybody else in this? He's like, oh, no, you just need to work with me. And, you know, when you're the king, I guess you can say that or whatever. And and so anyway, so that's Friday night. Sunday morning, I get this thing. He's in the hospital and he's got COVID. And a week later, he died of COVID. And I'm like, seriously, God, like, I just have given the last six months of my life to, like, doing this partnership in Uganda. And now other than the one guy from orphan Sunday that I know in Uganda, the only other person I know in Uganda is now gone. And I'm like, what, like, what are you going to do? And, and what are we supposed to do? And so the family, you know, obviously were mourning, but they, he evidently told them that I was coming. And so they invited me over there. So a month after he passed away and they did like, you know, they had a bunch of state funerals and there was like three different funerals, but he ultimately was, is buried at one of the orphan care centers uh, where he grew up. So he's really committed. to this. He was committed, man. I mean, they have, they have eight biological kids, but they have 22 kids total. So they have adopted, you know, that many kids. And so he was into orphan care ministry before you were. Absolutely. And he was an orphan. He was an orphan, wow. and yeah. so was so was the queen. She was an orphan as well. So, so they just have a heart for it. And but I'm like, now what? Like, I mean, like, what's going to happen? You know. And so I ultimately went over there. Um, never met them. You know how it is. It's kind of mm-hmm. like showing up at Tui's house. You yeah. know, never met them. Danish and, Viking. Yeah, we must hug. <laughs> Don't break me. Yeah. <laughs> So ended up over there, went up, saw two of the orphan care centers in what's, you know, in the Bugwari kingdom. And I mean, thousand kids between those two. And I'm just like feeling overwhelmed. Like, seriously, God, like, I don't even know enough people to help me do this, you know, and how are we going to feed all these kids? And because the king, I mean, like he would, you know, he had enough contacts that he, people would help him with that ministry side of things. And I'm like, I didn't know any of those people. And so I just remember, like, how are we going to feed all of these kids, you know? And that was the thing that just kept coming back to me over and over and over again. So after that trip, and it was it was an amazing trip. I mean, it was overwhelming, but I was flying home uh, from Uganda, and I had a, a super long layover in, in Doha, Qatar. And one of my board members said to me, hey, um, you know, when you get home, I want you to meet this guy that used to work with him at John Deere. He started this ministry in in northern Uganda called Field of Hope, and they help with farming and stuff like that. And and um, so after I got home, I got on a Zoom call with him, 
shared the story, all that kind of stuff. And uh, he was just kind of interested in learning about us and me about him. But I said to him, I said, I said, man, we'd love for you guys to work with us. I said, we don't have any money, but we'd love for you to work with us. You know, I kind of chuckled. And he's like, you need to meet a good friend of mine that lives in Oklahoma City. This guy's like a farming expert. He worked at the Noble Foundation. Um, he was, he worked for a noble for like 25 years, something like that. And then got hired by the Choctaw nation was over all the farmland, like 65,000 acres for Choctaw nation in Oklahoma. And he set up all these farming things in Uganda. He's been to Uganda like 25 times, set up a, a farming initiative for Watoto child care centers, which feeds 3000 kids a day. And this guy's set up all of this. So he's like, you should go meet him. So, I didn't think there was that many interesting people in Oklahoma. I thought I knew all the interesting people in Oklahoma. <laughs> it's, you'd be, I worked for Choctaws in Uganda. <laughs> yeah. 25 times. You would be amazed at how many interesting people. So anyway, they go down, have lunch with this guy. Same thing. I said, ah, we'd love to. I said, I don't have any money, but I'd love for you to work with us. They kind of chuckle. And a month later, I get an email from both those guys. They're like, hey, we've been praying about this. We... Um, Feel like God's leading us to work with you. We would at least we want to start off by going over to Uganda. We'll meet you in Uganda. So these guys pay for their own way to go to Uganda, go look at this farmland that the church and the or that's around the orphan care centers, and they're like, you know, what, what can we do to help feed these kids? And so we did that last October, November, kind of end of October, first part of November, and come back and they kind of put an assessment together and you know met with our board and said. If you guys want to do this, we'll work with you guys. And so they've committed to it's like a it's a three year project, it's a sustainable, you know, game plan that and these guys have both committed to go over there four times a year. So Uganda has two planting seasons. So they have um yeah, planting and harvesting. So they're going for all of those. And then Field of Hope, who, you know, Mike, the ministry they started when we're not there, they'll send their people down to help train these guys. And at the end of three years, it's created to be self-sustainable, all run by Ugandans, and we'll feed all these kids that we're mm. trying to take care of. So, Unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, that was just an amazing thing. And then from that, one of the guys that Steve, the guy from Oklahoma City, he had a friend that helped build a, a big medical clinic at Watoto in, in Uganda during the same time he was doing the farming. So he reached out to him just say, hey, you know, would you be – interested in helping us financially because, you know, obviously we got to buy a bunch of tractors and all the farm stuff to get this thing done. So he was reaching out to him about that. And he said, Hey, do you think they'd be interested in a, a medical clinic like we did at Watoto? So from that uh, conversation, uh, this Dr. Mike Carnahan is basically on board with us now to help us build a, a medical clinic. And the cool, the cool part of it is, I mean, there's so many cool parts of it, but uh, one of the adopted sons of the king and queen who was a street kid in Kampala and was just starving one day on Sunday and came stuck his head in the church and they invited him in gave him food stuff like that ended up adopting him and when we were there in October he had just graduated from medical school so he just became a doctor and likely will be the person that you know runs the medical clinic once we get it built the over there. adopted son of King John yes who who's the new king so his so it's not a bloodline kingship. So his he his eldest son Jeffrey um, was in you know as a part of the elections or whatever, and he he actually just got elected last Thursday 
to replace his dad. So he he's in process to become the second king of Bulgaria, and it, that's been cool because, I mean, just through this whole process, I mean, I you know when he lost his dad and I lost my dad, I mean, I have just really gotten to speak into his life. I mean, you know, a number of guys do that, but I mean, I'm one of them, and so I mean, I'm talking to him almost every single day on Facebook Messenger and stuff like that, and just wow. really getting to speak into his life, and I'm like. You know, it is. It's one of those things. It's like, okay, God, I went from like the lowest seasons of my life to like now I'm, like, I'm mentoring a guy that just became a king like last week. <laughs> Britain, we got up our game. Yeah. <laughs> they got any kings of Manistee? No, there's no kings of. But I mean, I know the former mayor, but so you're mentoring King Jeff. Jeffrey, yeah. Yeah, Jeffrey. I mean, I, I'm going to call wait, him Jeff. Yeah. Wait, probably not to his face, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is a great guy. I'm hope Lord willing, we'll get to bring him over here at some point. So God just, you keep giving him the yes. You, you, do you still work at Walmart? I don't. No, you don't work at Walmart. But even in that season, you're giving God your yes. Yeah. And you know, th- there's a similar thread that, that, I'm, that I'm hearing that with your parents, with you, faithfulness yeah. when it looked like there was no hope. Yeah. I wonder how that played into that moment when you're like, God, have you forgotten about us? Yeah. You know, the same way when they're going, God, uh, is Eric going to make it to graduation <laughs> or is he going to be a stat? Yeah. Or is he going to make it, you know, yeah. freshman year of college when you didn't go to class? <laughs> I, right? I, had yeah. a, I had a professor after one of my classes when I had an evening class and he took me after class. I gave this like horrendous presentation. I'm sure I was in with all these like it was a lot of adult students that were working at Conoco or at Phillips 66 yeah. at the time, all these businesses. So I was like, oh, I'm going to take a bunch of business classes. But I'm sure I didn't prepare for it. I'm sure I looked so stupid in front of all these people who were like legitimate like business people and stuff like that. But after the class, the professor says, I want you to come to my office. So we go to my his office. He calls my parents and they're like, um, why are you wasting your money for this kid to be in school? Literally called my parents and said, like, you're wasting your money. He shouldn't even be here. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> but it was, it was, yeah, I know. But it didn't matter for him because the next semester is when God intervened and called me into ministry. So, wow. but I, yeah, but that was like, that was how it was going. Wow. So I'm sure, you know, my, you know, my parents are paying cash for college at that time. And I'm sure they're thinking like, what are we doing? What is going to happen with them? So you're right. Britain, I'm sure you got questions. <laughs> oh, I've got all kinds of questions. Go yeah. for it. No, I think just the thread of don't give up that's getting pulled um, through yeah. this whole thing, this yeah. walking into Walmart to drive a forklift. I just love, love the picture that we're seeing, um, just a faithfulness um, in the void of new direction, right? All we have yeah. is faithfulness. It's something yeah. that somebody told me. Um, but I loved the phrase that you said of, I just need you to be obedient. Yeah. And so I guess my question with Uganda, with all the stuff that's unfolding with faces, with names, um, What's like obviously building out the farm and stuff like that, but if as a ministry, right, how can people come along side of that? How can people come along um, in that obedience? Uh, I just I think that this is a story that people are going to be pumped about, and yeah, so I think yeah. just given those, you know, I mean, it, obviously it's a situation where you know we're getting still getting established with our ministry in Uganda. I mean, we definitely are open to if people ever wanted to go and and you know see it firsthand because it is it's it's a life changing experience. Um, you know, that's an opportunity. You know, with ministries, you know, you guys know the reality of it, and especially like with this farming deal. I mean, like it it takes money. I mean, we got to buy tractors, we got to buy implements, we got to buy you know seeds, fertilizer, all those kind of things. We've got to 
build a storage building to house the harvest. And we're and in Uganda, because it's so humid and it's a tropical climate, we've got to buy all these permanently sealed uh, containers that so when the, the corn, maize, whatever gets in the beans, they get uh, grinded and stuff. It goes into those and it kills any bugs or it keeps the mold out and all that mm-hmm. stuff. So there's just a variety of things that we just, we got to raise money for. And yeah. so it's that, you know, I mean, if people ever felt led, the thing that I love about it is just that the whole thing is sustainable. I mean, like Steve, the guy who's helping us from Oklahoma City, I mean, he started that one 11 years ago and we got to see it when I was just there. I was just there in March uh, a few months ago. And I mean, this thing 11 years later, fully functional, 48 Ugandans are running it. A bunch of the orphans who grew up in Watoto are now have gone to, you know, ag school and they're the one mixing all the fertilizer and all the stuff that they do. I mean, I don't know that much about it. I'm from Southern California, but it was amazing to me. And I like, Cause like, I didn't even know like what this was going to look like, you know, mm. and to see it firsthand, like this is sustainable. This isn't just a handout. We're just not going to be buying food from forever. And the thing I love about it is like, you know, if God calls me to something different or if it's, or if, you know, whatever, I mean, like when we get them set up on this, whether we're there or not, they're going to be able to run it. Cause the way it works over time is that they start doing cash crops and, and then they're able to just start and then pulling seeds and stuff like that from the crops to plant in the future. So it's it's just a cool thing, but it takes money to do it. And and the reality of it is, is that it's it's going to help these kids to, to really thrive. I mean, I, one of the cool parts of it for us, I mean, I dreamed our mission and vision statement. I was literally like uh, dreaming this and I woke up and I was like, that's our mission statement. And it's our mission statement is to help orphans and widows move beyond a life of survival and thrive to fulfill their God-given purpose. Mm. And I just dreamed that, and I was like, that's what we want to do. And obviously food is a major element of that, you know, to be able to help these kids get to a healthy place and then the medical clinic and then school and everything else. So, um, yeah, so that would be a big part of, you know, if so, somebody want to jump so, in. So your website is faceswithnames.org. Yep. Uh-huh. Faces with names. Yeah. All, all lowercase. I don't know. Yeah, I, guess that it doesn't, does, I think it doesn't matter. matter. Yeah. yeah. But uh, is there a place there that someone who's listening, yeah. they can drop down, they can do, do like a newsletter, you get like a tat or like a uh, email updates yeah. and how to pray. Here's yeah. a trip. Uh-huh. You know, if there's ever a work trip or something like that, but there's also a place to donate. Yeah, there are. I mean, there's, uh, so yeah, I mean, there is a place for somebody can sign up for email. I mean, if you just, you know, it says contact us or whatever. And then, and then we have the farming tab, uh, you know, on the top of the page that shares about this whole farming initiative and allows people to give there or just in general to the organization. I mean, obviously besides the farming, we have to function as a organization mm-hmm. to, to keep it all going and stuff like that. But yeah, that's all at faceswithnames.org. So right now the focus is Uganda, but yeah. as God leads, because it, do, it does sound like, and in, in, I'm not trying to make my story your story, but the yeah. common thread is, I've, I've told people quite often, is I didn't plan anything in my life. Right. I, I had an idea in Florence, Italy. It was yeah. like, yes, and I thought it was sports yeah. ministry forever. Right. But even then it was God if you call. If I remember correctly, back in Florence, Italy, the call was... If God calls, you will say yes. Yeah. That's what the call was. Yeah, That's what I'm remembering. Yeah, it's, I think it's, you're right. You're not think. saying you're joining MAI. Yes, but if God calls you to sports ministry, if God calls you ministry, you'll say yes. Yes. Because I went back and, you know, Eric was, you know, I left this 
silly part of it. I was broke up with this girl named Darcy Coon from Buckley, Michigan. <laughs> and I was like the saddest sack he on was, that trip. Man, he was pathetic. I really. was pathetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I got home from that trip and there was a letter from Michigan that was on my in my room that had arrived when I was gone. And I opened the letter. It's my business. But it was, you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> and I was literally in the car 24 hours later driving to Michigan. And, uh, you know, of course, we were engaged and then married. But both of us had the call to minister. We go, both gave God our yes. But since yeah. then, I never planned Michigan, never planned pastor, never yeah. planned the tabernacle. Never. It's just like Forrest Gump, like a feather on a breeze. You just keep giving God your yes. Yeah. And it's similar to that. And I didn't have some of the crazy, ex- I, we had similar extremes, but yeah. not, you know, I wasn't driving a fork truck in Walmart because yeah. I would have tore the place down <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just with being oh, inept yeah. with, you know, driving a fork truck. But, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's faceswithnames.org. And yeah. is there anything else on the horizon, like as far as other countries or, or is this like, look, back to what I just said, you're not looking beyond that right now. It's just, we're going to focus on Uganda. Yeah. It started in China. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it's so, you know, like I said, the whole thing with, with Nepal, that's always been in the, in my heart, you know, just because that was kind of where it got solidified with the whole thing with faces with names and stuff like that. But we certainly have our hands full right now with Uganda, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm not trying to say, God, yeah, we want to end up in Nepal, but I mean, it just, it's one of those things that just kind of always is there for me, you know? Yeah. So if God says, Hey, go to Nepal, then, I mean, I want to have that same mentality of saying yes and stuff like that and i think the thing that i just would say about the whole idea of like saying yes to things is that like you know i think most people feel like oh my goodness if i have to say yes it's gonna be terrible but i mean the yeses that i've said over time have led to the most amazing experiences of my life you know what i'm saying and took a king to murphy's yeah i know (laughs) exactly who gets to do that to murphy's yeah well i'm 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 looking, you're just right here on our website, our, our internet down in the dungeons a bit slow, but it says how to get involved. Um, you or your church can get involved, adopt an orphanage. Um, it says you serve over 2000 orphans in, in 1200 widows in Uganda. You invite individuals, families, churches, businesses to care for orphans who may never be adopted. You can write letters to children that you can sponsor. So you do child sponsorship as well. Well, um, we're, we actually, when we decided to go down the road, we need to update our webpage from that. Because when we decided to go down on the, the road with this farming deal, we felt like that was the better option for us. And so we, we have put the whole child sponsorship on hold at the moment because we feel like long term, it's just better for them to be able to get fed. And then it's not. They're not dependent on anybody right. from the U.S. Or so you want money. it to be self-sustaining yeah, instead of here's the steady absolutely. check that's coming. Absolutely. So it's better that a donation goes to help this be something that eventually you can release that, to just be your own thing you know, and not exactly. like, like, how do you come to that? I mean, shouldn't faces with names. I mean, you need to have your flag on that thing yeah. forever and ever, yeah. don't you? <laughs> well, no. That was sarcasm. <laughs> I know it is. And it's interesting because I feel like God is, there was a number of organizations that were kind of involved in different ways and stuff like that. And I feel like God's really allowed us to kind of be a catalyst to bring everybody together, but always with the intent of like, this isn't about any of us. I mean, this is about helping them and caring for these kids and without really any of our names being relevant. I mean, yes, we have to have a name because we got to put it on our government documents here. And I love the the meaning behind Mm -hmm. faces with names, but yeah, it isn't about us. I mean, 
my goal is for us not to be needed there anymore. I mean, mm. that is my goal. And yeah. so work yourself out of a job. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And, and, and that it is a, it's, it's a little bit different mentality because, you know, there are a lot of, and I, you know, I mean, there's, there's pros and cons to child sponsorship and it, it, there is a, there is a intrigue to that because it's mm-hmm. like, oh man, I get to write, write a kid a note and I get to be involved with them and stuff like that. So this takes a little bit different mindset from an investment point of view, like if people donate, because it's like, it's kind of taking that back seat of like, I'm not going to be able to say I'm a child sponsor or I don't have the specific kid or whatever, but I'm investing in a big picture thing. It feels more biblical to me. Well, Something about not letting your left hand know it. what Let your right it. hand is doing. <laughs> yeah. say You're it. not He's, saying it, I'm saying yeah, it. Yeah. So. Right? I think there's that whole piece though where it's it's in our giving and in our supporting of, of yeah. what God is doing um, in these places. So often we Americanize it and we want to be able to put the right. banner up in our building and right. in our posters and we want everybody to know what – we're doing in this yeah. country and it's yeah. like no this is what god's doing yeah and we're exactly. just a part of that yeah and so and i think that that's a it becomes an idol sometimes for people and yeah. so i think that there's a level to this that is no yeah. we're going to give to god yeah um through this and we're going to trust that over time our giving to god is going to sustain what god wants to do here yeah, exactly. not what i want to do here yeah. and so yeah, yeah i think that's good and it is it's it's it is that's kind of another step of faith for us because i mean Honestly, child sponsorship, I mean, it's it's successful. I mean, like you can get, you know, a lot of people to jump on board mm-hmm. with that. And, you know, this, what we're doing is a little bit more kind of entrepreneurial. And so it, it, sometimes people aren't really wired that way to think yep. that way. But the bottom line is, is that I feel like in the end, it's way better. It yeah. is, I, you know, I mean, I don't, it is biblical because it is a sense that like, people are giving without having to be recognized and stuff like that, yeah, you know, absolutely. so yeah. anyways. That's awesome. So kind of another question I have for people that are listening, uh, people that want to support is how can we be praying um, for faces with names? Yeah, you know, always wisdom mm-hmm. and discernment. I mean, just yeah, when you start working in international and you have kind of the cultural dynamics, I mean, it's tricky. Mm-hmm. I mean, having been a missions pastor and been, you know, had a lot of partnerships overseas, um, it, it is a tricky, tricky road to go down. And and everybody, you know, you hope everybody has good intentions. And I'm not saying about this with people that we're working with. I mean, I I feel good about them. I feel they're like they're trustworthy and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it's two different cultures. I yeah. mean, Uganda's got 54 different languages. So, I mean, you know, there's just so many different dynamics to it and uh, that. And then for me, you know, when you start shift the focus to the kids, the idea that these kids would get out of the mindset that they're just – surviving, you know, and that they really, that we can create uh, a partnership that, you know, that the church there really comes alongside these kids and start seeing them more than just orphans. Because, you know, there is a real stigma here in the U.S., around the world, you know, if you're in foster care, if you're an orphan, that kind of thing, there is a stigma to it. And we've really got to see, get people to see beyond that and say, hey, these kids have value. Every Mm. single one of them is, they're not a mistake that God has plans for them. And, but even for them, it's hard for them to get out of that mindset themselves, you know? So for the kids, it's just praying that God would really expand their mindset of like, God really does have a purpose for me. And I really, you know, I don't have to stay stuck in this orphan mindset my whole life that God can really use me and stuff like that. You can be a king. You can be a king. (laughs) That's exactly right. You could be a king. That's so, awesome. Well, thank yeah. you, Eric. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Do you use a Bible um, when you do stuff? Like, just do you have a Bible you use? I do, yeah. And it'd be awesome if you had a new one. 
It'd be awesome if it had a Skylar Bible yeah, made out no, of goat skin. Yeah, no free shout outs. Skylar Bibles make yeah. great Bibles <laughs> with excellent goat skin. I may have one. I've already supported that. Yeah, I, you I have think one. I have one. Or I think two. I've bought two. You have yeah. two. And um, Skylar, if you're listening. Yeah, no, like free to, no free shout outs. No free shout outs. Benji, what do you think? Nothing? What do you want, Benji? He's stop giving them free shout outs. <laughs> <laughs> because we haven't seen it's any Skylar Bibles. It's, it's never going to happen. Never? There's not never, a, say never. I guarantee there's not a single person in Skylar that listens to the podcast. Well, we don't know. We don't know. Hey, right after this one. We're changing that. Yeah, uh, well, this happened. I've never wanted. What, what, is, uh, uh, what is the current um, financial like need? Because I, I saw in there, and you said yeah. it wasn't updated, but you needed to raise like three. Was it three million? No, no. Yeah, three hundred and fifty for the for the farming initial for the three years. It's three hundred and fifty thousand, and for the first year for us for like you know to buy all the tractors and everything, we we've got we need about two hundred twenty five thousand. So that's uh, building all the buildings, buying all the tractors, initial seeds, fertilizer is two twenty five. We're we're just about, it doesn't show it on our, our website because we've had some people give outside and some anonymous and stuff like yep. that, so it doesn't show on there. But we're at about 55000 right now, mm. and we need to get to two twenty five. We we were scheduled to start this late August, early September was, was when we were supposed to have our first season. That was what we were intending to and stuff like that, but we just didn't get the funds enough. So we've pushed that out to March of next year. Uh, first, first seeds in the ground. So mm-hmm. really between now, I mean, really over the next three months or so, Lord willing, we'll have those funds because we still have to buy it. We still have to get it all. It's about four and a half hours up to where we're at. So we got to get all this stuff bought. We need to get all the stuff up there. We need to get the buildings built. And we just have looked at it and we're like, could we start, you know, with less? And we're like, we could, but like, because this is so incremental and we're training them we don't want to create bad, bad habits just because we don't have the right funding or right. you know the right tools yep. for them so we're like you know what we're not going to get ahead of god we're just going to be patient god you've you orchestrated all this and when the right time comes and the right people who see this as the investment kingdom investment that it is that we'll have the money yeah. and so so really to start Next year in March to have those first season ground, we need two hundred twenty five thousand. Two hundred twenty five thousand. So there's there's three or four people that are listening right now that you know you got that. Yeah, Harbor Church, the Porch, Inola, Harbor Luga, Battle Creek, Tulsa. You guys know who you are that's listening. Yeah, no, I nice step up. No, I was talking about the Tab family. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But I got more. Rizzy, <laughs> Rizzy. Yeah, I'm sure Rizzy. He's got that Italian mafia connection. <laughs> Don't no, you think he's sure. got somebody that something. I don't know. He plays that. It's cool yeah. stuff, though. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's other closet. You know, the the former mayor of Buckley, Dennis Kuhn. <laughs> Maybe he's got that. We don't know. I uh, love it. Mm. It's cool yeah. stuff. Yeah. Really cool. So, uh, faceswithnames.org. Also, have we got any, have you checked the email to see if we've got any questions yet? No. We haven't gotten any. Would you make an alert, bro? I because, get, no, I get the emails. Oh, we haven't gotten the, any. We've got, okay, so yeah. people have no questions. They have no comments. <laughs> you, apparently, you're listening because we, we see the downloads. We had one person email us about Gibby's Fries. Oh, Gibby's Fries. Yeah. What was the email I guess about? you guys said something about Gibby's Fries. They oh, sent us an article. Gibby's Fries, are, is it? Oh, they're amazing. Gibby, yeah. I mean, you'll change your day for Gibby's Fries. But it's questions <laughs> that you want to answer on the podcast or comments or whatever, tabpodcast at thetabchurch.com. But the name we really want, and you'll put this in the show notes thing, the little link. Can you put a link? Do you know how to link? Yeah. Can we link to faceswithnames.org? Absolutely. Go there. Pray for Eric and Susan. Their three children, Reagan, Caitlin, Hope. And you know what? She, I asked her, can I call you Hopey? 
Because <laughs> I know, no, she was like, no. No. No, she was <laughs> like, only, Hopi. she goes, only silly, or something like, yeah, people, yeah. Don't call me Hopi. <laughs> I got that loud and clear. Yeah. So sorry, Hope Bishop, but Hope, Hopi Bishop is Hopi Bishop, but Hope Mills is your youngest daughter. Awesome. So pray for them. Yeah. Give to them. And uh, thanks for coming, man. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, that was thanks awesome, man. Thanks for sharing. Too. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Guys. Awesome. Well, Tab family, um, I think there's one thread we've pulled through this whole thing uh, is keep giving God your yes. And uh, he's faithful to be the one that that does the work. So yeah, obedience is key. So figure out what your yes is this week and maybe you need to say it. So until next time, this is John, Eric, Benji, and Britton signing off.